when you become an army officer, first thing that happens to you is you are given uh, your commission from the king, uh, and uh, that gives you the authority that you need in order to do the job that uh, you will be tasked to do. And the life of a commissioned officer, uh, whilst uh, has uh, sort of the trappings of uh, uh, niceties sometimes, is actually relatively difficult. Should we go to war, it would be extremely difficult, especially for the junior officers who have to spend their time uh, uh, taking full responsibility for the lives of a number of people. But even in peacetime, there's a lot of work to do for this commissioned officer. And I think that's a sort of useful uh, window into thinking about the way Paul describes his life and work here in this part of the book of Colossians. A life of hard work, of suffering, and ultimately doing so because he's being commissioned, not by the king of England or Australia, but the King of Kings. And Paul talks about these three things, suffering, commission, and hard work in this part of Colossians. And these are the things that we're going to look at and think about for our own lives uh, as followers of Jesus as we get stuck into this part of Colossians. So do keep those Bibles open on or on your phone, page 954, as we work our way through. Before we do that, though, uh, you, you might have missed a week or two or forgotten. Uh, we are doing a series in this book uh, of Colossians, which was written by the Apostle Paul. We find that out uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, and also at the end of the book in chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, and over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that Paul's written this book to encourage and remind this church in this town called Colossae of the power of the gospel and the supremacy of Jesus. He's reminding them time and again that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. And we saw last week that the Colossians have been reconciled to God by Christ's death and that this is the, the good news of the gospel, the heart of their faith and the thing that Paul wants them to continue in and the thing that Paul is now telling us he, he's a servant of. And this is where we see the kind of servant Paul is. He, he, he outlines it a little bit more in our reading today. And first we see Paul is a suffering servant. Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now we could say on one level, oh, that's nice that Paul tells us he's suffering, but he says something else uh, in that verse that gives us pause, doesn't it? And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? Because it sounds like Paul's saying something's lacking in Jesus, which doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? What, what, what is it that Paul is on about here? Well, let's remember that Paul is a 
pretty smart, logical fellow, and whatever he does mean, he can't be uh, contradicting himself where he's been so clear in other places. And of course, the whole message of this book is about the supremacy of Christ and his finished work on the cross. Just take chapter 1, verse 22. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Doesn't sound like there's a lot missing there, does it? Or in chapter 2, verse 14, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Again, done, finished, complete. Christ has won for us through his suffering and death a a true salvation. Whatever Paul's trying to say here, He can't be trying to subtract from what he believes to be the finished work of Christ on the cross. And what's interesting is that the word that Paul actually uses to describe uh, Christ's afflictions, that word afflictions, that word's actually never used in the New Testament to describe Christ's sufferings. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it just never pairs. When, when Paul or anyone talks about Christ suffering on the cross, it never uses this word that we have translated here, afflictions. So what's going on? What does Paul mean? Well, what I think Paul's trying to convey to us and to the Colossians is that he views his ministry uh, as an extension of Christ's work in the world. And so when Paul suffers... He suffers for the church just like Jesus suffered for the church. Not to win its salvation, but uh, to continue to do the work of Christ in the world. Paul's work was to serve the church, the body of Christ, through the proclamation of the gospel. And he suffers for that as a messenger of the suffering servant king. And the Colossians and us today, we're beneficiaries of his work and suffering. When you take the message of Jesus, the one who suffered on a cross for the salvation of the world, you're likely to do that with suffering. Suffering goes with being a gospel person and a gospel proclaimer. And we'll think about this more a little bit later on. But next... Paul describes himself first as the suffering servant. Then he reminds us that uh, he suffers as a commissioned servant. I wonder why Paul bothers with all of this. Beatings, imprisonments, uh, uh, an uncomfortable life on the road. Why do this? Why not just settle down, enjoy the company of a a nice Roman town somewhere? Why is Paul willing to suffer and and go through so much for the sake of telling people about Jesus? Well, it's because God has called him to this role. He's commissioned him for it. Verse 25, I have become its servant, that is the Gospels, by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. 
Paul's not on some sort of personal vanity trip. He's not seeking to become a rich man. In fact, the very opposite is happening. But he does it and he does it again and again and again because he can do no other. When you receive the commission of God to proclaim the gospel, that's just what life becomes all about. What is the nature of this ministry that Paul does as a commissioned and suffering servant? Well, Paul kind of outlines that in the next uh, few verses, doesn't he? We see first that as a commissioned servant, he presents the word of God. The mystery now disclosed, the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul presents the fullness of the word of God to people. The fullness of the word of God, which was a mystery in ages and generations past, but now God's people know it. And what is it that God's people know? Well, it's there at the end of verse 27, is it? The hope of glory, Christ in you. Believers, this side of the cross, have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in him, you are in him and he is in us. Being in Christ means that his life and death are ours. And so are his resurrection and ascension. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus, holy, perfect and spotless. And therefore, we have the hope of glory. We have the certainty of experiencing final glory with Christ and with the Father, in a sense, because we're already there. We're already in Christ through faith. Christ in you, the hope of glory, this is the heart of the gospel. This is what the word of God Paul presents is all about. And in the Old Testament, you get hints of how God is trying to bring his people back to himself, into right relationship again. But you never quite know how it's going, and it seems to keep failing because we keep stuffing it up. But with the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, it all becomes clear. God needs to do it for us, and he's going to do it himself in Jesus. And the gospel is the, re- the revelation of how the problem gets solved. The mystery is over. Jesus has come. And so Paul goes about presenting this word. And as he does so, he seeks to present people mature in Christ, verse 28. He he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. How is it that you get fully mature? Well, Paul says there, doesn't he? It's, It's through the proclamation, admonishing, that is reprimanding or warning and and teaching people the word of God. God commissions each of us to this ministry. 
of proclamation, pro proclaiming, admonishing and teaching the word of God one to another. The act of disciple making is in fact an act of maturing by helping people to understand what it means to follow God in their lives, what God's calling them to in their next phase. God calls servants to proclaim the word of God to those who have been elected to receive salvation. I wonder who it is that you're trying to mature. So Paul suffers for the gospel. He's commissioned to preach it by God and he works hard as he does this God-given task. We see that in... Uh, Colossians uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, and again in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Uh, and just a note there, it's even though Paul's working hard, he's doing it with the energy that Christ powerfully works in him. Christ is the one enabling his hard work. And why does he work hard? Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul's working hard, one, to encourage them and to unite them. See, this is the fruit of growing as a Christian is, and, and, and building your life on the gospel is a, a, a loving community united and on the same page. He doesn't work hard and proclaim the gospel to them so that they can be uh, right. He does it so that they can have a community built on the truth that is uh, soaked in love and that encourages one another as they continue to stand on the truth. He also works hard to help them to understand what God has done uh, in verses 2 and 3. Unless we continue to return to the heart of our faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there will be none of the united, loving community that Paul is trying to create in the church at Colossae. The gospel is what holds it all together. And so Paul's working hard to make sure they don't lose that as they seek to build a church of love and grace. And next we see He's working hard in verse 4 to help them to stand against false teaching. And you can understand why he must do that, can't you? Because uh, if you unpick the gospel, uh, then the whole thing unravels. And in fact, uh, 
We see this even today, don't we? Where churches that refuse to stand firm on the fundamentals of the faith, they, they unravel, they shrink and they die. They're trying to create a loving community that welcomes everyone, but by letting go of the gospel, they miss the very key ingredient for making that happen. So Paul suffers for the gospel, he suffers for the church, he's commissioned by God for the job and he works hard to encourage them to keep them firm in the gospel and help them stand against false teaching. What should that mean for all of us today? Well, though we may not have the same kind of commission that Paul had as an apostle, we do all have a commission from Jesus to make disciples, to seek to mature others. Jesus gives the, the commission to all of us at the end of Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All of us can go about this work with a friend, with our family with someone from church. Even the very act of gathering together this morning and uh, having a chat with someone and encouraging them and praying with them after church, this is disciple-making. This is the work of maturing one another. Are you committed to a life of disciple-making? Because that's the job we all have. It'll look differently for you than it does for me or someone else. But nonetheless, God has called us to be disciple-making disciples. And that means life's not going to be easy. We're going to suffer as we seek to serve the world and call people to repentance and faith in the gospel, the good news of our suffering King Jesus. And I wonder how we'll respond when that happens, when we face suffering. Will we pack up and go home? Or will we embrace it as Paul did? One of the verses I go back to a lot as I think about uh, my own response to suffering or difficulty for being a Christian is the response of the apostles in Acts as they're dragged before the Sanhedrin and told they've been very naughty boys and the apostles leave that place in Acts chapter 5 we read rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name what a powerful way to respond to suffering to rejoice that you've been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. I, I have to sit with that verse a lot because it is not my natural inclination uh, when you know someone says 
uh, something mean about me or whatever because I'm a Christian to rejoice and yet it strikes me that there's a great power in that kind of response as we seek to be making disciples of others. So we're called to make disciples. Life's not going to be easy and I think that means finally like Paul we need to make sure we work hard. We work hard at the job that God has called us to and we work hard at seeking in our own lives to grow in our understanding of God and his word. And as we do that, the fruit will be love. It's, it's almost like the test for orthodoxy, actually. How good is your theology? How loving is your community? How vibrant is it? And of course, if you want to have a more, if you, if you think it's lacking, the way to get a more loving community is not to dispense with the hard teachings of the gospel, but actually to lean into them because their fruit is love. Loving community is formed by the gospel. And if we want to continue to be a place that loves each other and loves our community, then we need to continue to do what Paul's encouraging the Colossian church to do, stand firm on the gospel. We need to be like Jesus, who we read in that wonderful opening monologue of John's gospel, was full of grace and truth. Let me encourage you to be like that. Hold on to the truth, but do it with gracious and loving care as you seek to be a disciple-making disciple like Paul in the world today. Amen. Oh,